0: Today I want to talk to you about the devil. No power of hell can snatch us from the hand of Christ. That's good to know. How many of you believe a personal, real devil exists? If you didn't raise your hand, you're at a disadvantage because you don't know your enemy. There is a battle, and we are in a battle between good and evil. It's been going on for a long time. We are to serve God's purposes and God's purposes are good. Evil is what? Evil is the opposite of good. Is that a good enough definition? Evil is the opposite of good. What do good things do? They build up. God builds up. God grants life. God constructs. God creates beautiful things. What is evil? It's the exact opposite of that. Evil tears down. Evil destroys. Evil corrodes. Evil perverts truth. God speaks truth, and it builds up. Evil tears down. Unbelievers find a certain mystique about evil. Have you noticed that? Even though evil is deceptive and destructive and ruinous, even though it corrodes morals and wastes energy, unbelievers in one way or another celebrate evil. They're attracted to it. You see it in their movies, you see it in their shows, in their video games, and their partying, the symbols that they put on their T-shirts and their tattoos. They're symbols of wickedness and evil often. So many of them, especially on the weekends, dive into enjoying and celebrating evil. They drink it up. They boast about their evil acts to one another on Monday morning. They boast about their drinking exploits, their sexual conquests. They think acts of evil to be daring. They compliment one another for how far they will go. What is it that foments this strange Attraction to evil. Evil with its thirst for power. Evil with its love of violence. Evil with its celebration of perversity, coming out and being bold. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 points out that the evil prince of the power of the air, that's what the devil is called, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, is, quote, now working in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? They are unbelievers. They disobey God. They are so involved in disobeying God, they're actually called the sons of disobedience. What energizes them? Who energizes them? Answer, the prince of the power of the air. That's happening whether they realize it or not. That was happening to me when I was an unbeliever, and I didn't realize it. Satan energizes and directs the lives of unbelievers. He works through the sons of disobedience and that is why they are attracted to evil. That is why they love evil. They are like children playing with fire and they don't know the evil it will reap in their own lives. By the time many of them wake up to evil's destructive nature, it's going to be too late for them. They will be ruined for all eternity, and there will be no salvation beyond the grave. Christians, like you and me, are different than unbelievers. Yes, we are. We are aware that there is evil, and that there is an evil one, as he's called in Scripture, and that he's real, and that he works Our eyes have been open to that. We are not deaf, dumb, and blind to the kingdom of darkness. We know what's going on. We have the inside scoop. Our eyes have been open. We know, despite the ridicule of the so called educated elite, there is a personal, intelligent, evil spirit, and there are actually many evil spirits, and those spirits hate our souls. They instigate more and more deception in our fallen world. They instigate false doctrines even in religion. We know there is a devil. Unfortunately, though, not all Christians know how to deal with the devil. Don't know how to deal with the devil. They fight against him for sure, give him that, but not really all that effectively sometimes. Sometimes. I'll give you a couple of examples. It's common practice for Christians, particularly in prayer meetings when they're getting together and they're all excited about it, to say things like, we bind Satan in the name of Jesus. As if if they didn't use words, something like that, nothing good's going to come from their prayer meeting. But does the Bible ever instruct us to pray that way? Do you ever read any prayer in all of Scripture where they said, we bind Satan? Have you ever found that? I haven't. Scripture teaches that only Jesus Christ can bind the strong man. That's the name that Jesus gave to Satan, the strong man, according to Mark chapter 3 and verse 27. We read that only in Revelation chapter 20, after Jesus comes back a second time, that Satan will actually be bound by a strong angel and then thrown into the abyss during the millennial reign of Christ, and he will be removed for a thousand years so that he cannot deceive the nations any longer. But according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, right now, Satan is still blinding the minds of other unbelievers. Yes, Satan's kingdom stands to this day, and he is a king. Not even Michael, the archangel. The archangel. Not even he would directly rebuke the devil when he confronted him in Jude 9. Instead, do you remember what he said to the devil? He said, the Lord rebuke you. But some people today, they want to rebuke the devil. I guess they think they have higher status than the archangel. I wouldn't do that. Now, other people... In some churches, engage in exorcism ministries. If you look around and you feel you have a demon inside, you can go up to your local church and you can say, hey, I need an exorcism ministry to get this demon out of me. And some people believe they have demons in them, and they go and they go and involve themselves in these exorcism ministries. But the apostles of Jesus were given this unique gift, the gift of powers, actually, to cast out demons And casting out those evil spirits from people was one of the signs that God gave to the apostles to show that the power of the kingdom age to come was present in these apostles who were chosen by Jesus directly so they could get a little taste of what was going to come in the next age, the powers of the next age. It was reserved only for the apostles. Other Christians, as you read in the New Testament, did not perform exorcisms. Did you know that none of the churches in the New Testament... Go ahead and read through Romans and First and Second Corinthians. Go ahead and read through the rest of the epistles, even Peter's letters written to several churches and John's letters. None of them ever tell any of the churches, do you know what you need in your church is an exorcism ministry. You need a ministry of casting out devils. No, that's never there. There's also a somewhat newer approach to... Uh, missions and to world evangelism that is done in some circles. It's called strategic level spiritual warfare. Have you heard of it? They claim that the only way you make progress in missions and evangelism is to tackle territorial spirits that keep the gospel from advancing in a region. So there may be a city or there may be a county or there may be a state or there may be a country, and the devil has his ordered angels there, and they're in a hierarchy, and you have to pray against those demons. You have to pray that they'll be removed if you want to see the gospel being advanced there. Is that what we're supposed to do with the devil here? If we want to see the gospel advance in Columbia, Maryland, we've got to tackle the demon of Columbia? Is that what God wants us to do? Man, there exists quite a wide range of thought about how to deal with the devil among believers in Jesus. We know he's there, but the way we deal with him is just really different. Some Christians blame everything bad that happens in their lives on the devil. You know the old adage, right? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. wasn't me. wasn't me. No. It was the devil. On the other hand, there are whole denominations that, if you go into their churches, you might hardly ever hear anything about the devil, right? I grew up in a liberal Protestant church. Most of the liberal Protestant churches scoff at the very idea of a real personal devil. When we talk about devils and things like that, that's more like mental illness or something like that. That can't really be an actual spirit. We're beyond that. We're in the modern age. We're in the scientific age. You don't believe in those kind of spirits. Those are things from the ancient world that they believed in to try to understand reality. We just don't believe in those things anymore. As if there's been some scientific discovery that has told us there's no spirit world, how does that even work? All millennialist churches, some of you may have come from all millennialist churches, they believe we're actually already in the millennial kingdom right now. I don't know how they can believe that. And therefore, Satan must already be bound and he must no longer have power in this age. In their churches, you will hardly ever hear their counselors being trained to prepare Christians to deal with the devil. Why should you do battle with the devil if he's bound? Yet here's a verse for you, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, write it down, 1 John 5, 19, it bluntly declares this, the whole world lies, that's present tense, in the power of the evil one. Right now, present tense, doesn't sound like the millennial age to me, Paul wrote that we struggle right now against demonic powers in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and following. I don't know. I don't buy into that. No, we're not in the millennium. All of this leaves one to wonder, is there an imbalance in people's approach to dealing with the devil? Is there an unhealthy extreme on the one hand which sees a demon behind every bush and then too little recognition of Satan's activity on the other hand? How does the Bible tell us to deal with the devil? Now, make no mistake about it, we are to deal with the devil, there is a real devil. He is active in this world. There's no question about that. We are to be involved in spiritual war, warfare. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 makes that clear. Paul wrote, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, not guns and swords and knives, right? But they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. He goes on to talk about ideas being fortresses. And we have to battle against... Bad ideas and false doctrines and tear them down so that people are not held back from belief in God. The spiritual warfare we have is in the realm of ideas and truth. The early church was very aware that they had a spiritual opponent. We've been studying in the book of Acts, and we're taking a week off right now, but as you see the progress in the, in the church, they were well aware that every time there was some level of progress, there was always going to be opposition. And they knew that that was designed. It wasn't coincidental. There was an intelligent spirit that was working behind the scenes to throw stumbling blocks in the way of the church. We already looked in Acts chapter 5 when Peter asked a man that was inside the church, Ananias, he asked Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You see, Satan went to church that day and Satan got on the inside of the church and tried to work on the inside of the church to cause hypocrisy and some division inside of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul was exhorting the church to forgive someone who had done a wrong, and he, he wrote this. He said, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. On the one hand, you try to do the right thing in putting somebody out of the church who has unrepentant sin, but then when he, he repented of the sin, he had to urge the Corinthian church to receive them back in, because if you don't, Satan will take advantage of us if we're not forgiving one another, right? There are a lot of different schemes that Satan has to game. to to bring against the church. We have to be alert. We have to be educated. We have to be knowledgeable. We can't just put our heads in the sand and act like it's not happening. To repeat the title of a book that was written in the 1970s, Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Did you know that Satan is not in hell? Did you know he's roaming about on this planet right now? Do you know there's no devils in hell right now? Hell is empty right now. There are In the lake of fire right now, nobody is in there. The first person that's going to be thrown in there is the beast and the false prophet, and that hasn't happened yet. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18, for we wanted to come to you. Paul's talking about coming to the Thessalonian church. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. Here's the apostle, Paul who could do miracles and cast out demons, and he just wanted to visit a church and strengthen that church, and he said, I couldn't come. I tried to come several times, and Satan thwarted me from coming. He knew his enemy. Do you? Do you know your enemy? Does Hope Bible Church know its enemy? We have an enemy. By the way, it's not the Republican or Democratic Party, whichever side you're on with that. It's not. It's Satan. He's our enemy. Well, it should not surprise us that when we turn to 1 Peter, and by the way, go ahead and do that if you haven't already, chapter 5, this is a letter that encouraged believers who are about to face severe persecution from the hand of the Roman government probably for the first time and were facing all kinds of ridicule from unbelievers all over the place. It's not surprising that Peter, towards the end of this letter, had to give a warning to the saints about the devil and tell them... How do you handle the devil? Well, he gives us a strategy here that we're going to consider today. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. If you follow along in the text, what you'll see that we do here at Hope Bible Church is we read it, and then we explain it and try to apply it, okay? So the more you dig, the more you dig out of that and see in there for yourself, then when you go home, you'll know it's not just me talking, but this is what God's Word says. So Peter writes here, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert, you could almost put the word why in there. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Kind of builds up to a crescendo, a doxological crescendo right there. Dealing with the devil. Here we have a strategy. Believers are not told to ignore the devil. Believers are not told to fear or glorify the devil. Instead, as we deepen in our Christian faith, we are told to be alert We are told told to join other brethren in their resistance to the devil, and we are told that God is fighting for us as we do that. So really, there's three activities I want us to cover in this text. That's our outline, if you want to write that down, three activities that are given here. First, what Satan does. Second, what we should do in response. And third, what God does for us while we're doing that. I'll give that to you again. What Satan does, what we should do in response, and then what God does for us. I want to start in the middle of verse 8 with what Satan does. Look in the middle of verse 8 where he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What is the devil doing? Now you know. Now you know what he's doing. Sunday, what's today? June 10th. What is the devil doing today? There it is. Now you know. You got the inside scoop. You have the intel on your enemy. There he is. We know what he's doing. We know where he is. We know what he's up to. We know what his motive is. We know his method. In one sentence, Peter encapsulates the enemy's activity. I love Scripture. I love scripture because scripture gives us insights you can't get from science. You cannot understand this stuff from I don't care how much schooling you get. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how great your IQ is. You can't know this unless someone is in the enemy camp and can report to us what's going on. You hear me? This is precious. This is invaluable intel. This verse plainly declares that the devil is your adversary. This is personal, guys. You should take this personally. The devil is your adversary. He is your real enemy. Your wife's not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your neighbor who messed up your tree is not your enemy. Satan is the one who hates you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And he's very smart about it. He's very good about how he does it. He's been doing it for millennia. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a lot brighter than you and I. Jesus pointed out that Satan was, quote, a murderer from the beginning. That was always his goal. He wanted to take Adam and Eve down, and he did. He outfoxed them. This word adversary was often used to refer to an opponent of law, someone that uh, would accuse you in the law court, hopefully to bring about your destruction, to use legal means to destroy you. But the word also came to have a more general meaning that just could be translated enemy, and that's probably how it's being used here. The devil, Satan, same guy by the way, the devil, Satan, is our opponent. He is our enemy. He is our enemy in everything we attempt to do for God. There'll never be a time where we could just coast in our Christian lives or where our church will just be left alone. Not going to happen. He's our enemy. In fact, another name for the devil, Satan, Satanas in Greek, actually means that. It means opponent. It means adversary. If we were to add to our understanding of this evil spirit, we'd see that he also has the name the devil, Diabolos. You know what that means? That means the slanderer. I mean, he's so good at slandering, he's so closely aligned with lying and falsehood, he has the title, the slanderer. We call him, who is he? He is the adversary and he is the slanderer, Satan and the devil. No one does slander better than him. He's got it down to an art. Satan purposefully slanders God's good character before men so that you'll think bad thoughts about God. You'll think that God is against you. That's Satan's slander in your mind. And then he turns right around and he slanders those same men towards God, accusing us before God. I mean, he's good at this. There are also other names for the devil. Write down Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. Look that one up this week. It says this, and the great dragon, this is the dragon of Revelation, the great dragon was thrown down, this is going to happen in the future, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Wow, there's a whole bunch of names put together realizing it's the same guy. This evil spirit is being fully unmasked in this verse. We see that he's the devil, he's Satan, he's the serpent that was in the Garden of Eden, he's the dragon of Revelation, same ugly and dangerous dude, no difference. I said once before when I was preaching on this, he's on the FBI most wanted list. He's a formidable, blasphemous insurrectionist. That's who he is. Take him seriously. If you encounter him, don't try to encounter him alone. He's too dangerous. He is the leader of a whole horde of fallen and banished spirit creatures who have no truth in them, who have no goodwill in them at all, a cartel of callous criminal spirits. Cast out of heaven, but still flying around in the air, prince of the power of the air, still having their haunt in the air, so to say, and landing on earth and working on earth. He is by no means just some impersonal dark force at work in the world. He plots, he instigates, he tempts, he fights, he hates, he harasses. Here, Peter tells us that Satan prowls about like a roaring lion. He's likened to a vicious, devouring beast, one that will attack, one that will pounce on the prey, chew it up, destroy it. And he roars. Why do lions roar? You can read a lot about that online. It's a way of communicating with other lions, sometimes marking out a territory from one male to the other. But a lion's roar also immediately frightens the prey and sends them running in the different direction. And actually, in a lion pride, it's the male lion that often does the roaring. That's the easy part. And he leaves all the hard work up to the females. Good design, I think, you know. <laughs> it's not Father's Day yet, so I can't, you know, can't get into that. He roars and sits there and waits for a meal while, while the young lions and the female lions go do all the kill, drag them back, and then, they all, then they all eat. And that's how it goes. So with Satan, he roars and his roar precedes the kill. He's roaring. What's that? His intimidation and then he goes for the kill. He frightens his prey, and then he destroys them. In Peter's day, this roaring that he's referring to in context probably refers to the fact that the first time, this is just about the first time where the Roman government was going to turn its hatred towards the Christian church. They had only been hated up till now officially by the Jews, and the Romans were about to unleash the Neronian persecution where Peter and Paul were going to be killed and all of that was about to happen. And Satan was instigating in the Roman government hatred towards the Christians. That was Satan moving in a human government to bring persecution against Christians. By the way, does that sound like anything going on in our day? You can see that happening from certain directions where there are certain laws that are going to be passed that are going to put us in a quandary where to obey God we have to disobey the law of the land and they're going to use that against our churches. You can guarantee Satan is in that. That's what he does. He was was bringing this looming persecution against believers, and it was like the roar of the lion that was coming. Just the threat was there, enough to scare the church and intimidate the church. And indeed, Satan's power is often expressed through government harassing the church. Now, I want to also point out that Satan is described here as a roaring lion, but that does not mean that Satan always uses the same tactics. He can roar, like a lion in your face and scare you and have you tremble and not make you want to evangelize or stand for Jesus or do the right thing. But he can also do this. He can also slither up alongside of you and just kind of gently whisper some ideas into your head. It says in 2 Corinthians that Satan appears as an angel of light. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to think that his ideas are for your benefit. He's an angel of light, you see. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. He can smile. He can entice. He can look attractive. He can tell our young people, look, you don't want to listen to all that stuff in church. I've got a lot more fun and joy for you in the world. And young people very naively follow that, thinking there's going to be more happiness for them and more fulfillment in the world. He's got them, and he laughs at them because he's leading them towards destruction. Both of those tactics work, but both of them have the same goal. Disrupt the Christian. Disrupt the work of the church stop the spread of the Word of God. Satan hates the Word of God because he can't do anything with the Word of God because the Word of God is truth refined through and through. When Jesus was attacked by the devil in the wilderness and tempted, what did Jesus use? Scripture, he said, it is written. He said, it is written. And then he said, "Begone, Satan, it is written. And what did Satan do? He ran. He hates the word of God. Notice too, in verse 8, it says that Satan prowls about. Prowls refers to being on the hunt. Satan is hunting. Who's he hunting for? He is hunting for one weak person in this congregation. That's all he needs. He needs one person that is unaware, one person that is opening himself up to sin. That's all he needs one person to cause trouble. He wants to bring that person down to ruin and also cause harm to the church. He's prowling around. I saw a map of the land area in which lions used to roam. It's kind of an interesting map. And it was like all over Africa, and it was possibly in a little bit of Europe there, all over the Middle East, and all the way over to India. And then it it's superimposed on the same map, where are lions prowling around today? It wasn't too many places, just a few spots in Africa. It's like, wow, they've been really beaten back. You know, they don't roam as much. But Satan is not limited. He can roam around Russia. He can roam around Maryland. He can roam around Argentina. I'm not meaning to pick on these countries, by the way, in case you think I'm saying something. He can roam around anywhere, Saudi Arabia. He's not ubiquitous. He's not omnipresent like the Lord He has a locale. He's circumscribed. He can't go outside of his own spirit being. So he roams, and he has other spirits that are roaming, and he gives them orders. If you lived way back then where lions prowled about all the time, and you went outside, you would have great respect for the fact that you might bump into a lion when you were on your way from point A to point B, right? And if you bumped into a lion, it wasn't going to be here. come here, kitty, 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 kitty. It wasn't going to be that. It's going to be, where do I find a tree? How do I get inside? Close the door. You'd be alert about this. You knew that he's faster than you and stronger than you, and he'd probably be a much better hunter than you'd be a hider. You were in a lot of trouble if you ran into a lion. That's how we should understand the devil. He is dangerous. We've already seen inside of this church people pounced on by the devil who have renounced their Christian faith and gone back into the world. We've already seen it. He gets people thinking in a certain way. That world looks so attractive to them. They see the glitz and the glamour of the world and they don't see what's on the other side of it. They don't see the destruction of their lives. They're fools. Satan is prowling. Maybe he's prowling for somebody like you. Maybe you're the one he thinks he has an angle on because you're careless with your Christian life. You don't. You don't take care to apply the Word of God. You come in here and do what James told you not to do. You're a hearer of the Word of God, and you don't put anything into practice. You're a great target. Isn't this what Satan said he was doing when he came and gave his report before God? Somewhere in the heavenly places, he was allowed to report even his evil existence. He reported to God, and and God said, "Where, where have you come from? And he said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. There it is, prowling. And just like a lion, as he roams, he finds unsuspecting prey, and he will pounce without warning. Job was never warned of the attack that would come upon him, and he was not attacked because he was a weak man. He was attacked because he was a strong man. He stood for the righteousness of God, but he was attacked by the devil because the devil said, I want to take that guy down. And he mocked Job before God, right? Job only worships you, God, because you made his life rich and healthy. And God said, go ahead and do what you want to do to him. And God sustained Job's faith and restored after he was sick and after he was poor and after his children were taken from him, he restored everything and even more to Job. Many Christians are unaware that there is a target on their back, They go through life unaware. You go through your ministry, your preparations for your studies, and things like that, and you're unaware. You have an enemy. And then a vicious attack comes, and and you're surprised. Why me? Why me? Because you're in a battle, people. Because you came to church today. This is a dangerous meeting when you came in here. You're enlisting in the army of the Lord. Satan knows that, he's no dummy. He wants to get you. He wants to tear you down. He doesn't want you out witnessing. He wants you discouraged. He wants you talking about your problems all day long. The devil is like a vicious animal. Unlike God who genuinely cares for you, and don't ever doubt that, the devil could care less about you. He just wants you to think he cares more for you until he chews you up and spits you out. Remember what Jesus said about him in John 10.10, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that I might give my sheep life. That is why we're strictly warned in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. What was he talking about there? He was talking about don't let there be anger in your life. Don't be angry for the wrong reasons. Don't let the the sun set on your anger, because if you do, you give the devil a foothold in your life, and he'll cause problems in your life. You might be angry at people, and you might have harbored anger again and again. Guess what? The devil is a very, very angry being, and he's attracted to someone who has anger in his heart, and you gave him the open door to your own soul. Don't do that. Paul was not somebody who was unsuspecting of Satan's schemes, he knew the devil's schemes. He knew they were constantly going on around him. He was aware of that. He wrote of the need for forgiveness in the church, as I said before, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. It is no coincidence that Peter just finished exhorting about humility in verses 5 through 7 right before this section. Why? Because proud people also attract the attention of the devil, like blood in the water, The devil is a very arrogant person, and he is attracted to people who are proud in spirit. In fact, you might say pride is the devil's distinctive sin. Satan is seeking somebody to devour. How how hard is he seeking somebody to devour? Well, that, that verb, zeteo, is a present active participle. It shows that he's constantly searching for somebody. He's looking, he's hunting, he's prowling. How carefully does a lion go about looking for its food? Now you know. He's committed to finding someone he can devour. He's going to get there. He's going to get somebody. He's going to get his prey. He's going to gulp them down, spit out the bones. Satan wants to demolish your faith. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, it says... The flaming darts of the evil one are are doubt that leads to despair and leads to defeat. And he's constantly raining down those flaming darts on you through wrong ideas where you begin to say in your own mind, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I don't want to do this Christian thing anymore. That is Satan talking directly to your mind. That's not you. That's the devil and you're listening to him. And he's having fun and sport with you. He's targeted you as the weak one. Don't be a fool. Come on, people. You're taught the Bible. Don't be fools. Know what's going on. Maybe you're like that. You had the shield of faith up for a while, but you dropped it. And now things are going boom, boom, boom in your life, and you're discouraged. Well, raise the shield back up again. You need to know how to respond to the devil's assaults. All right, that was just point number one. i got to hurry. Now, what we do... Look back at the beginning of verse 8 and then verse 9. What do we do? Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Now skip to verse 9. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You know, after describing the terrible and formidable foe, you might expect the advice to Christians to be something like, head for the hills, hide. Not at all. Instead, Peter exhorts them, ready yourself, join the resistance. Look again at verse A, ready yourself. Obviously, if, if Satan were out of the picture and Satan could do us no harm and he was all bound and couldn't deceive anyone that is in the millennial kingdom, we'd have absolutely no need to be alert and to be sober. Every one of you should be a pre-millennialist just based on that. We are not in the millennial kingdom now. We are told to be alert and to be sober. Sober like soldiers who understand we stand and work in enemy territory. An ambush could come at any time. Someone always has to be alert. You have to watch my back. I have to watch your back. You are not to stroll through life like it's a sunny day and a picnic all the time. You are in a war zone. Don't be caught spiritually asleep. Know thy enemy. You ask, but how do I know if it is Satan that is working and not just my own flesh? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. Here's the answer our flesh tempts us all the time to be lazy, to be lustful, to be prideful, selfish, to covet, and other things. Satan adds an extra dimension to our flesh's temptation. He provides the justifications for our sin. He provides the ideas that we say to ourselves that justify us in our sin and make us want to do the sin. He gives us deceptive doctrines to endorse our sin. Those lies are the realm of Satan. When we entertain those lies, we entertain the doctrines of the devils. He also does this. He also stirs up the world of unbelievers to bring pressure against you and persecution against you and ridicule against you ridicule against you, to cause you to be quiet, to cause you to back down from following Christ. It's okay to come in here and act like you're a nice Christian and everything, but when you go out there, the world will say, what are you doing? You're weird. What are you doing praying there? What are you doing carrying your Bible there? What are you doing talking about that Jesus thing, you know? Oh, you must be part of the God squad. That is Satan stirring up the world against you. That's not your flesh. See how they all work together? In that state of being alert and being sober now, knowing that you have an enemy out there, being alert at your post, then what are you supposed to do? Verse 9, you are to resist the devil. Do you see that? That word resist reveals how active we are to be against the devil. Yes, it's wrong to deny the existence of the devil, but it's equally wrong for you as a soldier of the living Christ to shudder in fear before the devil. We are to be just as determined to stand against His devices as He is to tear down God's work. This verse here, brothers, should embolden us. Why would Peter tell us to resist Satan if resistance was futile? James chapter 4, verse 7, another great verse. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He will tuck his tail between his legs and run when you resist him. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know he will flee from you if you resist him properly? Were you aware of that? Peter teaches us we are to resist Him firm in our faith. It is our faith in God, in Jesus, in His Word that allows us to resist the devil successfully. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5 speaks of the stability of your faith in Christ. Yeah, that makes you strong, that faith in Christ. makes you firm. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11 says, "...those that were dying during the tribulation overcame the devil." Why did they overcome the devil? Because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They were victors. They were overcomers over the devil. Yes, believers can be harassed by demons. Yes, believers can be tempted by demons. No, believers can never be totally dominated by demons. Nor indwelt by demons. Because all the believers have to do is resist the devil and the devil... Will run away like a scared pussycat. Beautiful. Did I say something right? (laughs) Guess it's time to end. We'll just keep going. We know we are not alone in our resistance against the devil. Why? Look at the verse again. Because there are other believers in other parts of the world that are being attacked and are suffering just like we are. Does that comfort you? They are standing firm. You don't want to be one of those that ran, do you? You don't want to get to the great rallying point in heaven and say, yeah, when we were attacked, we ran. No, we stood firm and the devil ran. Don't you want to be one of the ones that sees the devil, the devil run rather than us? I was reading an uh, uh, article from townhall.com about the growing antagonism of the radical Hindu government in India against Christians. And it's sad. They're being attacked. But the article had some good news. The number of people converting to Christianity while the government is becoming more hostile was increasing. In fact, the percentage of Christians in the nation, the second most populated nation in the world, in India, was actually growing. Somebody there is resisting the devil. Man, we can do that here, yes? We can do that here, yes? We can be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ and resist Him. But you might ask, how exactly do we resist Him? And I don't have the time to do all of this, but I want you to turn real quickly to Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 through 13. I'm going to give you an outline of this only. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And you'll see here kind of a a greater description about how do we do the resistance? How do we engage in spiritual warfare? If we're going to battle with the devil, how do we do that? And you kind of have the how right here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of your might. By the way, don't go in your own strength, right? Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you haven't figured that out, that's the devil and his hordes. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Paul teaches that you stand firm, how? By putting on the full armor of God. You need the armor of God, and the the aspects of the armor of God are all listed in verses 14 and following. You need that armor so that you're able to stand firm. Please notice, not once, not twice, but three times the Apostle Paul said, stand firm. Verse 11, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, having done everything, stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm therefore. Obviously, it's pretty important in God's strategy that believers stand their ground. Do you agree? Are you standing your ground? How would you know if you're standing your ground? You're standing firm when you are not frightened by the devil. When the assault comes against you, when the fear of danger comes, if you get afraid, you have already lost the battle. Scared soldiers don't stand strong. They flee. You stand firm when you don't droop at your post. Where is your post for Christ? What are you called to be doing for the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Don't be half-hearted in it. Don't be half-hearted in your prayers. Don't be mediocre in your service for Christ. Our Lord calls for complete allegiance to Him. Try this out. Be all out for God. Be outside of your mind for Christ. Fight the good fight of faith, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. Also, you know you're standing firm when you don't even think about retreating. There's no going back, boys. We're standing the ground. We will fight and we will die right here. You cannot even think of fleeing in the dangerous hour when the devil roars. You must be resolute to meet the enemy head on. You're not going to turn around. You're not going to run. The devil's never going to see your backside so brace yourself. Be watchful. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 13. The men should know it. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Say it with me, men. Act like men. Be strong. The disciples ran in the garden when Jesus was arrested and he said, "Stay up. Be alert." That night when the devil pounced, they ran. Notice Paul does not merely say to stand against the devil, but we have to stand against the schemes of the devil. That makes the job a little trickier. We have to stand not against sheer power that will come against us. We have to stand against the tricks. We need to know how to do the different things when these tricks happen. The schemes of the devil, the method duo, do you hear a word in there? His methods. The devil's carefully crafted battle strategy, we might say his X and O strategy plan. His cunning ploys, designed to catch believers off guard and ruin their joy and ruin their testimony in the world. I love the way the King James Version says it, the wiles of the devil. The devil is a schemer. The devil is a master deceiver. The devil is a spiritual strategist. Verse 11 says we have to stand firm against these schemes. And so to do that, we have to put on the full armor of God. Verse 11 is not meant as a separate command. It's there with a the flow of thought. Put on the full armor of God is the explanation of how you're going to be strong in the strength of the Lord's might. What is Paul teaching here about spiritual warfare? You better not be like that rookie soldier. He hears the trumpet blast to go to arms, and he excitedly rushes out of his tent and into battle, and he did not get prepared. And when he gets out there, such an untrained fellow will be knocked silly. You cannot go out there pumping yourself up, flexing your muscles, acting like you're so so great. This is not about auto-suggestion, I'm going to be strong in the power of the Lord. I'm going to be strong in the power of the Lord. It's not about that. It's not about an adrenaline rush. You actually have to go with the armor on or you will not have the power of God and you will not be able to stand firm. You don't stand a chance. The armor of God is that essential. The armor of God is given in the next verses. We don't have time to go through all of that, but it means speaking the truth and believing in the truth, living righteously, the gospel of peace, the helmet of the hope of salvation, the shield of faith, all of that. That's how you battle the devil. That's what you do. It's not about casting out demons. It's not about walking around a city and praying the demons will flee. Meet the enemy's lies with truth, truth that you can quote, truth that you believe in your heart, more importantly, truth that you put into practice in your life. Practice righteousness. Practice truth. Hold fast to the helmet of salvation and your hope in that. Speak the Scriptures to yourself. Speak the Scriptures in your own mind where you're talking to yourself. Speak the Scriptures to others. It is written. It is written. It is written. Say it. Believe it. Live it. Stand there. Stand firm and the devil will flee. That's how you do battle with the devil. And God says, it always works. It's God's strategy. It's God's strategy, people do it. The third activity is God's, verses 10 and 11. I'll try to sum it up as quickly as I can. Turn back to 1 Peter, verses 10 and 11. Look what God does for us. After you have suffered for a little while, boy, it seems like a long time, doesn't it? But God calls it a little while. The God, and now God's described in two ways here. The God of all grace. So, on the one hand, God has all this grace which uh, Jesus said is sufficient for you, right? All that grace will be there to help you. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is God's help that you and I don't deserve. When you need the grace to fight the battle, it'll be there. The God of all grace, and the second way it's described, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, this is that internal, irresistible call to salvation that God gives. He calls you to join Him in His eternal glory. That God, the God who calls you out of this world and calls you to Himself, that's going to give you eternal glory, what's He going to do for you while you battle? The devil, what's he gonna do for you while you stand firm? He himself, notice how personal this is. He himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You go through the, the meaning of those words, and it's so rich. You may feel weak, you may feel you can't handle anything, but God will confirm you. God will, will put strength and stability under you, He will strengthen you, God will perfect you. God will establish you. That's what God's going to do for you. God is fighting on your side, beloved. You You are His, and you are in His army, and He'll fight for you. And Peter couldn't write all of this about God and what God does for the believer without ending in some kind of a praise, some kind of a doxological crescendo there. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. You see, Satan wants a dominion. Satan wants a rule. It was Satan who said, I want to ascend and become like the Most High. I want to to sit on the throne of God. I want to run the universe. I want to dislodge God from His throne, and I want that spot. Look how powerful I am, he said to himself. Look how beautiful I am in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Look at me. I'm smart. I can handle this. I can run the universe. I can command the attention of the angels. I can do this. His arrogance lifted him to that level, but it's to God to the Lord, the God of grace, to him be the dominion forever and ever and ever. God's dominion will never be stolen from him. No one will ever knock God off of his throne throne. Nobody will even come close to doing that. Satan will lose his battles with the, with the Lord our God. He will lose those. And in the end, yes, he will end up in hell. He will end up in Gehenna. He will end up in the lake of fire, so says the book of Revelation. He will burn day and night, forever and ever and ever, and so will all of the false angels, all the, the non-chosen angels, all of the evil spirits will burn forever. Day and night, the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever, and so will every single human being that decided that they liked Satan's way and Satan's doctrine and Satan's world more than they liked Jesus Christ and his reign. They will burn there also, and we pray that's not you. Because if you're not a believer in Jesus, you've already lost. You're already under His sway. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You are under His sway. You may not know Him. You may not feel Him. You may not perceive Him. But you are under His sway, and He has you. And He will have you no matter which way you turn in life, no matter which way you go. You come into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you believe, you are instantly transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And in the end, as far as I'm reading in the Bible, Jesus wins, not the devil. Jesus wins. And I'm sick and tired of losing, frankly. I'm sick and tired of every single team that I root for loses. I want to be, I want to be on one team that wins, and I am. I'm on the team of Jesus Christ, and I don't even have to carry the football. I don't have to shoot one shot. I can ride the bench, and I am going to win. And I'm going to win with you, and you're going to win also because Jesus Christ is the victor. So when your captain, the captain of your salvation, says, stand firm, the devil will run when you believe the Word, quote the Word, live the Word, then you'll see that you have much more power as the grace of God buttresses you and helps you in the midst of your situation. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen? Father, we love You. We believe in Your Son. Help us to stand firm and do battle against the devil with his schemes and devices against this church, against other churches and other Christian institutions, against our families as we try to live for You in our homes. Guard us. Help us to be aware of what's going on, that it's not just our flesh, but the devil is our enemy, Lord. We do pray that You give us strength to battle against him. We know we cannot bind him but we know He cannot bind us, and He cannot bind the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that end, we pray that the glory of Your Word might run and be exalted unto the glory of Your person. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.